0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 444 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Aleph, and we have the small crew here this week, Krim, away over at MagicCon Barcelona, who'll be back next week, but this week I'm joined by the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Monday, Richard.
1: Good morning, Seth. Recovering from some good uh, European Pro Tour magic action this weekend. Were,
0: were you? Did you get up for the for the start of the top eight? That would be really early your time. No, I, I stayed up for the start of the top eight. Oh. Then, because it started early enough for me, but
1: I didn't watch it. And then I went to sleep and then woke up at like 5 a.m. to watch the back half of it. Although Constructed was fine. Constructed was wake up at like 5, 6 a.m. If you just skip the limited section. So it's not too bad if you, if you skip the limited part.
0: No, the, the, the Japanese Pro Tours, those are the hardest for my time zone, I think. Those are the ones that like start at like 2 a.m. or just something. So European, you got to get up pretty early, but we, we managed to survive and it was a pretty interesting event. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that is one of our big topics for today. So we had a Modern Pro Tour. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, power Creep and Magic is another topic that's come up. And then, because it was Magic a Con, we get a bunch of spoilers. So we got a first look at Wilds of Alderaan and uh, also Doctor Who, I think we'll talk most about Wilds of Alderaan, but uh, that's the overview for today. Modern, pro tours, spoilers, maybe some fish mail. Before we jump into it, a reminder that today's show is brought to you by Card Conduit, and Card Conduit are the easiest way to sell your Magic cards. If you ever get tired of all the hassles that go into buy listing your cards, Card Conduit lets you skip them. With their curated service, you can send in as many cards as you want with a buy list value of a dollar or more and pay just a 5% fee. And if you want to do a bit of work, you can use their sorted service and list and sort your cards in advance and pay just a 2% fee. Either way, you'll get a detailed report with the results and a fast payment once your order is processed, and you can even get another 10% off by heading over to CardConduit.com slash cardconduit Goldfish. Card Conduit, they are the easiest way to sell your Magic cards. so thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show, and let's start with the Pro Tour. Well, let's Pro Tour first, and then we'll talk about spoilers. Richard, the format was modern, also, uh, also limited. What went down at Pro Tour Lord of the Rings? All right, a lot, a lot of One Rings
1: <laughs> went down. Uh, a lot of Ractil scam went down, and kind of the the story of the Pro Tour was the the resurgence of Mono Green Tron, and especially uh, a very specific list of Mono Green Tron, which kind of cut back on the Karn Liberateds, the the seven drop. And played, like, more interaction to deal with the rest of the, the, the board. Like, dismembers and things like that. But kind of just leaned very heavily on Karn, the great creator. And kind of was able to power through blood moons and things like that, right? Because you're, you're topping out with four with little Karn. Uh, but, yeah, like, a lot of rhinos. Uh, we, we got some living end, some amulet titan. It was basically what you saw in modern challenges. Uh, after two days of battling the, the top eight, was one Racto Scam, one Amulet Titan, three Mono Green Trons, uh, and uh, three Rhinos, and ultimately it came down to Jake Beersley with Racto Scam winning. Uh, there was it was an epic uh, five game banger. Uh, game five was Scammed out by the Scam player with a with a very easy victory, but Game Four was uh, one of the best magic uh, matches of pro magic uh, I've seen in a long time. Uh, yeah. So it was a very interactive. Stacksy game where both players kind of stack themselves out and one ring ticking down, killing the Tron player, things like that. So it's actually a very fun finals. Uh, but yeah, Rakdos scam not a one ring deck won the, yeah. <laughs> won the tournament. But one ring was in like fifty percent of the deck. It was like all over the place. There it was the most played card, four hundred fifty copies in forty five percent of decks. Followed by Orcish Bowmasters at four hundred thirteen copies, forty percent of decks, and then followed by Fury. Uh, but also, Rakdos Scam was also the most played deck of the tournament. So the cards in those decks, you're going to see overrepresented as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, even though it's not a One Ring deck, the Scam deck is a uh, Bowmasters deck. That's the other really big Lord of the Rings edition I think to the format. Uh, you have uh, Bowmasters in the Scam deck. You have the One Ring, of course, in the Tron deck. We also got the Amulet deck in the top eight, and then the Rhino deck. I, I guess it is the the Lord Revealed deck. That's its big Lord of the Rings <laughs> card. Uh, Richard's favorite commander sleeper. Uh- <laughs> So, all the cards, all the top eight decks were very influenced by the Lord of the Rings set. We've seen, like, the Rhinos deck and Living End decks really cutting back on lands because of the new land cyclers. I don't know what to make of this modern format at this point. Like, uh, going into this, the question was, are the Lord of the Rings cards too good? And... I don't know. Do you think this settles that debate? Like, it, it, coming away from this, I think last week we predicted, like, 50% one-ring decks is what we had said in the top eight, and it ended up being that. Bowmasters also performed really well, even though Scam didn't put that many players into the top eight, uh, but it was one of the most—it was the most played deck on day one, and it still had a relatively good performance. If you actually look at the win rates, people have posted the data— Discounting all the random one-ofs in uh, two-ofs that very few people played, it was really Rhinos, Scam, green, Tron. All of those had between like a 54 and 56% win rate through the Swiss rounds. So I think those are like solidly the top tier deck of the meta. What do we make of this, Richard? Like what do we make of this format, this Lord of the Rings driven format? I think it's fine. <laughs> so on <laughs> one hand, you look at the numbers, okay? You're like the one ring,
1: 45% of decks. That's absurd. That's very high. It needs to be banned, right? That that's a very high play rate. I don't. What was the Hogak play rate?
0: It's, it's got to no. be like up there. Do Do you recall off the top of your head? I I don't recall off the top of my head. I bet it's less than the One Ring, though. I mean, and remember yeah. too, the One Ring's colorless, so it has a similar advantage right? of being able to show up in more decks than a yeah, like a, a Hogak or something. But still, yeah, so,
1: yeah. So on on one hand, those numbers look absurd, and you if you just looked at numbers, you could justify a banning. On the other hand, if you look at the eye test, (laughs) moderns seem fine, right? Because because the one ring is colorless, any deck can play it. And it's also like at a mana value that any deck can play it. And it's also at a mana value that you can choose not to play it as well, right? Because it's slightly, it's a four drop. So you can just plan to skip it and try to aggro someone. Or you can be like, I want to play bid rangey, or I want to like grind him out or something and and you throw it in your deck. Like in terms of the metagame, it wasn't, Really skewed in the same way that you see when people are playing like hogak, right? Like there there weren't any like crazy main board cards, or people weren't like, you know, their their decks weren't totally invalidated just because the one ring existed. So I don't know. I actually think it's fine after watching it this weekend. It's like brainstorm, right? It's like absurdly strong, but everyone has access to it in legacy right so legacy is a blue format right but in in modern everyone has access to colorless one ring right and it it can be beaten and even when you play it yes it snowballs out of control but so does like you know ragavan so so it's gonna be like many other cards in modern Uh, but like it doesn't dictate the strategy so you can have four one ring decks and the four decks look like totally different so to me it's like a brainstorm type card i don't think it's that bad And uh, I think Wizards can make an actual, like, argument for not banning this card,
0: and, like, it would not be pure Copium, I think. (laughs) So do you think we'll still have a bunch of different one-ring decks after this Pro Tour? That was one of my questions, because it seemed like, so heading into the Pro Tour, I think if you asked just the the average observer of Modern what the best one-ring deck is, I think people would have mostly said Omnath. Like, that is, on the metagame page, more played than Tron. As soon as the One Ring came out, that's what everyone went to. Omnath works really well with One Ring. It gains you back to life. It makes four mana to play the One Ring. But it turns out that Four Color Omnath actually flopped really hard at this Pro Tour. It was one of the worst decks. It had, like, a 43% win percentage or something, which is really, really bad. On the other hand, Tron was great. It showed up in the top eight. Its win percentage was great. It seems like people figured out, the pros figured out, that in the One Ring meta... Karn the Great Creator is kind of like the key to the format. That is a card that gets you your one rings in some cases from your sideboard if you need it. Although a lot of the Tron decks are just playing four in the main deck. It also shuts down your opponent's one ring. So do you think we'll still see a diversity of one ring decks coming out of the Pro Tour? Or do you think Tron is like the default one ring deck now? And if you're going to build around the one ring, you're going to play Tron with Karn in the one ring. I, mean, I think you beat Tron. I mean, we we
1: saw Ractyl Scam traditionally... Very bad against Tron, but not in 2023, right? Like there are so many scam victories for for the scam deck against Tron, like we saw in the finals, right? Like a, a turn one Fury is like unbeatable because there's no like removal in Mono Green Tron, so your 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 three four one four four double striker will get the job done, right? And you can go Raghavan into Blood Moon. Right. And we we didn't actually see this on camera during the finals, but there, there's the, the, the best scam of like Voidwalker. It's a Thoughtseize. Take your Ulamog. Ulamog you. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't think it's the best deck. I mean, it is, I think it's the best one ring deck, but because it's more one dimensional than, let's say, like Omnath, like Omnath just kind of grinds you out. Like, I think you could beat Tron. Uh, I, I will note that, like, Tron is the best deck because you said you can stop the one ring, you can get your own one ring. But also when you're drawing cards off the one ring, your your top decks are like insane, right? You're playing like basically like Legacy Eight Post yeah. or whatever, right? Or twelve yeah. posts. How many posts there are in that deck? But like <laughs> if you don't have Tron, your three cards will get you Tron. And then when you have Tron, you're slamming like Ulamogs and Ugins. Other people are like, well, I drew an extra uh, Thoughtseize. <laughs> you're all like useless, right? So it's it's just all around a very good and Tron deck, and it can also get rid of its own. One Ring quite easily. Like Karn can punch it down. Uh, they're playing that Caterpillar in their deck to get rid of it. So it, it has the most synergy with the One Ring. But I don't know. Just play a fast clock with a Blood
0: Moon backup and you, you probably get there. against <laughs> Tron, right? So, uh, Yeah. I mean, so Scam, it did take down the entire tournament. I don't know, do you think it's better than Tron? I was looking at some of the matchup data, and it looks like it's actually a a pretty close matchup. I think it's very, like, hand-dependent, play-draw-dependent. Like, if the that last game, the Game 5... So Game 4, you said, was epic, and it was. That was an amazing match. The last game of the Pro Tour was actually pretty anticlimactic. It was, like, this game deck having the Double Grief on turn 1, into Blood Moon on turn 3, and I don't think Kelkano like, Did he play anything? He might have played a Relic Progenitus or something, but he literally just... He got scammed out and did literally nothing. I think if he had been on the play or, like, the hands are slightly different, that matchup could have went very, very differently. So I actually think it's a... A super close matchup. We did get to see Voidwalker, not in the finals, but we did see. Did you see the, like, I think it was a semi-final match against Amulet Titan, where Voidwalker, like, stole oh, multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. Primeval Titans from yes, the Amulet yes, player? Yes. And, like, so yeah. that deck, oh boy, it scams in so many ways. It's actually kind of hilarious. You got, like, the Grief scams. You got the Voidwalker, like, Thought Seize Your Primeval Titan, Your Lumog scams, scams. Uh, you got the Blood Moon, the ultimate OG scam card that, like, just to jam it and hope your opponent can't do anything. Do we want that to be the best deck in modern though? Like, is that a, is that a play pattern that you want of just like, like, I'm a blood moon player. I love playing blood moon decks. I love trying to jank people out of the games, but I don't know if I want the jank out deck to be the, the pro tour winning deck. Like, is that a, is that a thing we actually want in modern? Yeah, you get scammed,
1: but you're scammed all the time, right? You're like... <laughs> <laughs> you're like, double thoughtsies, like, bring back my my grief. And then they're like, okay, I solitude your grief. And then I played land, land, Omnath, and then you lose. Uh, so they're... And, like, game, remember, game four started with a, with a turn... Either two or three Blood Moon, right? And also some kind of scam-type opening. But, you know, the Tron player is able to stabilize. Uh, like, you need to remember the scam is, on face value, a a a 3 for one against yourself, right? So uh, it needs to do a lot of work uh, to get there. And, like, if Omnath is popular, Scam is, like, so bad, right? Because yeah. they just solitude your thing, and then you you have, like, absolutely nothing. Uh, it, it's only because Tron has no interaction. That monkey is, like, going wild, right? The, the turn one Fury is going wild. But the other build of Tron, the, the Nielsen build, you know, plays Dismember right? So if there was a yep. dismember on, on that turn one play, the game is like probably in Tron's favor at that point, right? But of course the counterplay is if you're on the draw and you dismember and then they have another like you know, undying spell, then then you're like totally, you're totally dead, right? So, I don't know, it's 2023 magic, Seth. You just you just blow by your opponent doing like <laughs> scammy things <laughs> and get there.
0: Yeah, I, I, I noticed guess. day
1: one was totally not interactive. It was just like people just like playing things and just popping off and like winning without like really any care for what their opponent was doing. So, I mean I don't know. it's it's kinda of twenty three magic,
0: right? That that is kind of like what all the big decks do in their own way, right? Like Rhinos is just like, I'm gonna make two four four tramplers on turn three every game and like See if you can beat it. Tron's like, I'm just going to play my big things in the one ring. The scam deck's just going to, like, do the scam stuff. Play a blood moon, strip your hand, see if you can beat it. So it is, like, in some ways interactive, though, right? Like, that's been one of the big conversations that, like, is Modern more interactive now than it is in the past? Like, I guess on some level it is. Like, technically, the double grief scam thing, like, you are interacting with your opponent, but for some reason... It doesn't feel like traditional interactive decks to me. When I think of, like, interactive, I'm thinking of, like, Sphinx's Revelation Blue-White Control, where you're just, like, trying to do that. Or, like, old-school 2015 jund where you're, like, Thought Seize you and Dark Confident and Grind you out with a Maelstrom pulse. Do these decks count as interactive decks, since they're technically, like, disrupting their opponent with griefs or, like, Thought Seizes or Blood Moons? I don't know. You're trying to get out from you're trying to besiege
1: you the lands. You're trying to get out from Blood Moon Locks. I, I think it's actually very interactive, but I think there's also a lot more non-interactive games. So like the, of the interactive games, like they're they're actually you know very long, and, and I think they actually said on camera like there was a a Scam versus Tron match that went to time. <laughs> Uh, like, so, like, when you get the interactive games, like that game four we had in the finals, they're super interactive and grindy and long. But yeah. you also kind of get the scam games. And not just out of the scam deck, right? Like, any deck can scam you. Like, uh, Amulet Titan, I remember there's a match where they had, like, no lands or something and, like, two <laughs> two amulets on the battlefield. And they're like, if I top deck a land, you lose. And, the, you know, the, the other guy had, like, a full board of creatures. And then he top decked a land and proceeded to uh, destroy the opponent. Uh, so there's always kind of those nut draws that these decks have. So I I don't know. I think. I, I don't know. I think it's I fine. Think do you think you the on... one ring needs to be banned, Seth? Or even even Bowmasters? Do you think any adjustments need to be made for, for Modern based on the Pro Tour?
0: So Bowmasters, I think, I'm, I'm okay with for the time being. In some ways, it might be my hatred of Ragafon. <laughs> one thing I do like about Bowmasters <laughs> is it has, like, and this is. Kind of oddly, what we've talked about for the past year. Like, what do you do if Raghavan's the best thing in the format? Like, how do you top that with your next Modern Horizons set? And Lord of the Rings isn't exactly Modern Horizons, but it is a direct-to-Modern set. They didn't print a better Raghavan. They just printed, like, a really good card that snipes Raghavan. And now Raghavan is, ai think, another good card rather than, like, the, the top threat in the format. So I like that aspect of Bowmasters. The One Ring... I feel like it's going to get old. Like, I'm not in the, like, they have to ban it right now. But I also can't imagine this being what modern is for the long term. So I, I guess I'm at the point where like <laughs> what about enough to sell <laughs> sets for Christmas sets? <laughs> oh Yeah, I mean maybe maybe that's although really they're giving away the one ring in bundles and so forth. Like, isn't it a card that's good enough in Commander that it should be fine? Like, won't it still just the the hype around it? Commander play, even if you banned it or like did something creative, like restricted it or something in modern. They can still sell the set, right? You got Nazguls. You got Nazguls. That's going to sell the set. Yeah, Who needs the I One think Ring? It's mine. <laughs> okay. But I mean, do you want to go back to
1: old modern before Lord of the Rings? Was that really any better? Like, I, I don't know, right? Like, let's say you, you axe the One Ring and we go back to whatever we were before the One Ring. It's really just the same, except everyone didn't play the One Ring. It's kind of just the same. I do have, okay, I have a third challenger for you. Okay. There is a card with 68% play rate in decks. Ooh. For reference, the One Ring was only 45%. Fury is 47%, actually. Uh-huh. And that card is Chalice of the Void. 68% of decks, 355 copies. So less copies than the One Ring. So everyone's playing, like, two ofs in the sideboards. Yeah. For, presumably, many of the Cascade decks, right? There's two, like, Tier 1 Cascade decks in uh, Rhinos and also Living End. And also, it's just good if you play it on one or you play it on two. Uh... Does that need to go? Like, that's an absurd high <laughs> number. Maybe the chalice doesn't need to go, but, like, does something causing it? Like, if everyone's playing, like, 68% rest in peace, you're like, hmm. you know, ley line of the voyage. You're like, that's awkward, right? Like, that's a really high chalice percentage that's higher than the one
0: ring. Yeah, I I think that rhinos like sort of dodges this whole conversation about what's going on in modern right now because it isn't as is heavily influenced by one ring cards. There are Lord of the Rings card. There's no one ring. There's no bowmasters. So people don't think of it the same way. But I think that. I think the play pattern of rhinos is actually like one of the least fun in the entire format. Like, it just does you just the wanted same.
1: control decks. Seth,
0: <laughs> it just does the same thing every single time. Like, it, it's just built to do the same exact thing every single time as consistently as possible. It doesn't matter what cards they draw, especially eh, because you're just cascading into it anyway. As long as you get one of your like eight or twelve cascade spells, you do the same thing every time. I think it's actually like a, a very unfun play pattern, personally. Really? It's yeah to me
1: it's jund. It's <sighs> kind of like weird it's like this weird control deck and you're playing underpowered underpowered two four fours, right? Like the four fours are not that big. So you actually need to put in the work to get them to end the game right because it trades with the fury if someone's playing Charmagoy, if it blocks it a murktide blocks it you know all this like it's actually kind of rough right so you need to actually use the rest of your cards to force this through i would like it's actually one of the most interactive decks because the two four fours don't get there you kind of got to interact and push them through uh yeah. but yeah but they, they are kind of unfair in that they're just like rhino rhino it's- again
0: <laughs> right can you deal with this no I mean, there's no way I can view the Chalices as a as an unhealthy card. Like, I think the play rate is really high, but I think that's just a reflection of the power of the Cascade decks. So, I, to me, I view it very differently than, like, a four-of-main deck card like the One Ring. Like, that's that's a lot different, a two-of-sideboard card that you're bringing in a specific matchup to stop your opponent from, like, pseudo-winning the game so, on turn three.
1: The, the power level is so high in Modern that I need to bring
0: in this card to give me a Fog...
1: And give me more card advantage. <laughs> Isn't that the chalice argument? <laughs> uh, but, hmm. hmm. Yeah. I I, I I will say that the One Ring, I think if people just played Fog in Modern, it would not be as like, meme as they think. Because when we saw like the One Ring in the finals, all it does is just Fog. And then the Tron players immediately try to remove it. They draw like two <laughs> cards, and then they're trying to remove it so that they don't die to it. <laughs> So, if they just made a souped-up fog, like a fog that drew a card or, like, a put, put, like, I don't know, amassed an army or something, like, just, like, added some value onto fog, it might actually be playable. Because Wait. people were just, like, fogging. Do you think <laughs> for, for the if
0: they thing. actually put, like, spider fog in Modern, do you think people would play it? I guess maybe it's too expensive. It would yeah, have like to be, you like, you a cheaper more value. spider fog.
1: Like, what about a pitch elemental? That like fogged on the way down. It was like uh, a 3-4 or something. Something like that. I don't know. Mm? Like something that's not just a straight fog, but it has to be better than like 1-2 spiders. But not quite one ring level where you just drew 8 million cards.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting. I, I see that people are playing Fog Hate, like Questing Beast. People came prepared The Kai, Kai's deck in the top eight, the Team of Rhino deck, is, uh, is going with the Questing Beast plan to get around the one ring. So I guess maybe Fog would be fine. Like, there are ways to hate on Fog. So maybe a more souped-up Fog could be good. I think the other side of the one ring conversation, though, is like, <sighs> what if you frame it like, this is a... This is a colorless time time warp for four mana that also draws you three cards. Like, if you just say that line of, uh, like, text, isn't that just absurd and banable on its face? Like, wait, this is a mana cheaper than a than a time warp, which is banned uh, in Historic on Arena because it's so busted. But it's colorless, so any deck can play it, and it draws me three cards. Like, isn't that just, like, an absurd thing? that we're even saying these words (laughs) but it's colorless everyone can
1: play it seth
0: yeah but is
1: it it, it the, the problem is if it was colored right if it was colored and only one deck could play it but because it's colorless every deck can play it and that it's also at four mana that people can actually try to go under it um but like if i if i said what if i gave you ancestral vision that also shuffled your library and you know had other synergies is that absurd and banable like yes it's brainstorm but everyone plays it because it's blue and one mana uh like if we made thought sees colorless would it need to be banned or if we made i don't know what what's the next like most played card that's like but
0: like hmm. but don't you understand? Kind of easily banned, huh? <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it kind of the one ring problem eventually? you make Or the mental misstep problem eventually, where like everyone just has to play this card to keep up with everyone else playing the card? Like, I think that's my dislike from it. And maybe it's because I like brewing decks and playing like janky things, but I feel a lot of pressure if I'm playing modern or if I'm playing historic. I feel like I kind of have to play the one ring just because my opponent's playing the one ring. And if they have the one ring and I don't, or I don't have a very specific, like, kill you super quick, uh, turn three Rhino plan or something, I feel like I'm at a huge disadvantage. So is that, like, is that good? Do we want everyone to feel like I got to buy a $200 playset of the one rings just because everyone else is doing it?
1: So you can go under the one ring, but, like, mental misstep counters mental misstep, So you have to actually play it to counter other people's missteps. But... I don't know. Like, Rhinos doesn't play the One Ring. Scam doesn't True. play the One Ring. Amulet Titan doesn't play the One Ring. Well, like, Ambulet if Titan I build does, a deck. But... Oh, it does? Oh, it does? Okay. Yeah. Like, if I build a deck for Modern, I gotta be like, can you handle Cascade crap coming at you on turn two or three? Like, yeah, you gotta be able to handle that, right? Can you handle some land based Cheaty stuff in like Tron and Titan, right? Like yeah, you gotta be able to handle that, right? Can you handle getting your hand thought sees into oblivion or a blood moon? Like yeah. Can you handle your opponent fogging on turn four and drawing three cards? I don't know. Like I think these are fair assessments you need to make.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I I wouldn't push to say that the Wondering has to be banned next week. Like I'm not at that point yet. At the same time, if I think about a year from now, can I imagine, imagine me still enjoying modern that much if 50% of decks are playing the one ring? Uh, No, I don't think, I don't think so. (laughs) Modern Horizons 3 will be out. I mean, we just go back to the alternate
1: world, right? Like, can you handle a monkey every game? Do you want to see Red and Six every game? Would you like to see Omnath every game? I was actually cheering for Tron because like Tron was like in the gutters, right? Like Tron was actually not a deck for quite a while. So <laughs> we're like, oh card is back, but card is actually cut from the deck. It's the other card. Card <laughs> yeah. has been powercrafted by four mana card now. But I don't know. I, I think when the weekend started, I thought One Ring was definitely getting banned. But after watching it, I'm like, it's actually not that
0: bad. It's actually like, eh, it's like okay. So, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the power creep thing. I got two more Pro Tour things I want to ask you about before we talk spoilers. Uh, so, one is, a big conversation happened as a result of this Pro Tour about the amount of power creep in the game. Someone rightly noticed that if you look at the ten most played creatures at the Pro Tour... Every single one is uh, Modern Horizons forward. I think the oldest is Seasoned Pyromancers from the uh, first Modern Horizons, but it's Orcish Bowmasters, Fury, Endurance, Subtlety, ragavan, Grief, Delighted Halfling, Voidwalker, Season Pyro, Shardless Agent. Is this too high of an amount of power creep? Like, should we have any concerns about... How much power creep has accelerated in magic? Cause I remember like, I remember when we started the podcast even, not that long ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, we would talk about how wizards compared to other games had always done a really good job of controlling power creep. Like compared to Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon, it wasn't snowballing out of control. It seems like maybe that's changed now and we've reached a point where power creep is greatly accelerated. Is this something that's concerning or? Do we just embrace it and Modern rotates now when a new Modern Horizon set comes out and expect this level of power creep to continue?
1: Oh, it's out of control. It's it's the fault of the death of Standard, right? Before, Standard used to be the most played format. So you could print lower power cards and when Standard rotates, your lower power cards can be played. Uh, But now that Commander and Modern and all these kind of eternal formats are the main focus, the only way to play new cards is to have them be more powerful than the old cards. So uh, I think Modern is okay because we don't have as many Modern sets. But Commander is getting Power Crypt into, into Oblivion, right? Because there's so many Commander products. Every yeah. product is a Commander product. How do you sell it? You have to have a better, stronger card. Uh, so yeah, I think this is Modern Horizons' fault, right? The minute they started printing cards directly into Modern, the only way to sell it... Is to make them playable, right? If you if you release the entire set of garbage and you're like, oh, I'm not gonna power creep modern, no one's gonna play it, and then that's not gonna sell and uh, that defeats the purpose. So you know what people are asking for like pioneer masters or something, like no, 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 like, no you're just please. gonna get powercraft. Please, right? like, no. Any, any horizons type set will power creep that format. So even like popper horizons or something will power creep it. Uh So yeah, it's just printing for eternal formats where you have no escape from you can't just reset the power level except with bannings but you'd have to ban a lot of cards like all of modern horizons one and two or something to to get it back down right
0: yeah i think we forget that like supplemental products with unique cards is a relatively new addition to magic like every supplemental product until i think the original commander decks actually were all reprints there were never new cards in these and really like conspiracies commander legends modern horizons these all just came around in the last five Seven years something like that. So it's a pretty new addition to the game. And I think you're right That's what it's uh his really accelerated power creep And I don't know how it ever ends in commander or modern like I, I don't think it can really end at this point Although I do wonder wizards with their changes to standard One thing they mentioned several times is like they want people to feel comfortable buying magic cards We want to like not have random bannings because people will be afraid to buy cards We don't want standard to rotate as often because people will be afraid to buy cards should we have some fear because of power creep when it comes to buying into commander and modern staples? Like when you see a Ragavan at a hundred bucks now down to like 50 bucks, do you think, wow, I got to get that because it's really good? Or do you think, wow, I better not get that because it's going to get power crept in a couple years and be worthless? Like like Tarmogoyf now from $200 to 20 bucks or whatever. Like does it shake your confidence in buying these expensive cards at all? There was a time in Modern where you could actually
1: be like, in two years, I want to play with this deck of yeah. cards, so I'm going to start building towards it. Like, every month, I buy, like, one Tarmogoyf for something, right? And then in, like, yep. a year, I'll have a deck. I would 100% not do that, right? If I wanted to play with the cards, it has to be right now, and I would play with it right now, and it will get power crept or banned. Like, look at Tarmogoyf. Look at Liliana. Look at Jund. Like, Jund is essentially the best cards with no synergies at that point in time. And, like, all the cards from past Jun decks are no longer playable. All the four drops, unplayable. Three drops, unplayable. Two drops, unplayable, right? So the only thing that remains is, like, Thoughtseize, right? And they will power creep Thoughtseize at one point. So uh, I don't know about this. I I would not be buying for the future to build my collection or something like that, right? I would just buy the cards I want right now. And I would actually sell them when I don't need them as well. Like, I, I would not just hold on to them randomly because... Uh, like even things that are untouchable, it various protection. It will
0: get power crapped. It will get power crapped. It will. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you power creep a thought, Z's, but yeah, I, I agree that everything will be power crapped and put a body uh, on it, Seth. Grief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, boy. Oh my goodness. Or the other thing is, like, it'll just get reprinted a ton. So, from a financial perspective, like, if it doesn't get power crapped. Uh, It'll get reprinted and reprinted and reprinted, so you still probably don't want to be holding on to those cards super long-term if you're not using them. My other Pro Tour question for you, Richard, so I did a little short on the YouTube yesterday about my takeaways from the Pro Tour, about, like, the big three decks, about the One Ring, about Tron being back, and... I focused on decks that were heavily played. What I didn't mention, because a short's only a minute long, so you don't have time for it. Uh, But like, technically, if you look at the win rates, Merfolk was the best deck at the tournament. It had an 80% win rate. It went eight and two. Does this matter? That's that's my question for you. What? How do you make sense of these decks like Merfolk, Four-Color Reanimator, Thopter Sword that posted really good win rates, but a single player played them, or in some cases maybe two players played them, does that matter? Does 80% win rate Merfolk matter compared to 56% win rate uh, Rhinos or whatever with hundreds of matches being played?
1: Yes, because this is the reason we like Modern, right? The whole point we like Modern is it's a large card pool and you can play uh, a wide range of decks. So the fact that these kind of unknown decks can put up results are pretty good, right? Uh, you know, Merfolk, you listed... Merfolk makes sense, right? It's a fast clock with counter magic, uh backup. Uh, we have, like, Burn showed up. I mean, Burn's always been around, but, like, Hammer Time yep. showed up, Thopter Sword, Murktai. Like, if you just look at the 8-2... And, uh, you know, 7-2, 7-3 deck lists. There's a lot of decks. So it lends you to the idea that maybe if you have a pet deck and maybe if you practice it enough that you can actually get there with it. Because I'm, I'm sure everyone knows how to play against Scam. But do you actually know how to play against Merfolk? You know, beyond the fact that, like, I hope they don't have all these lords or something, right? Like, <laughs> it, it's probably an intricate matchup. But if you don't have the practice, like, you're going to get, you know, you're going to lose a couple percentage points there, right? So... I think it is important. I think this is the reason why modern is, is good. Because if it was actually like all scam, rhinos, tron for all like 300 deck lists, then you're like, yeah. do I want to play this format? Right. But because it's so varied, uh, you can actually play one of your, your tier two or tier three decks and still get there.
0: I think we saw an example of this actually in the top eight with uh, Dom Harvey and Amulet Titan. If you uh, if you don't know Dom Harvey, he's like the biggest Amulet Titan supporter. He wrote like a 80 something page primer, like literally wrote the book on the Amulet Titan deck. If you look at Amulet Titan overall, like three or four people played it, its win rate was like 47%, 46%. If you discount Dom, Harvey on the other hand went eight and two, cruised into the top eight. So it definitely shows that Modern still does reward you for knowing your deck really well. And you still can be an Amulet Titan player, a Merfolk player, a Hammer Time player, or Urzothopter Sword player, and find success in the format if you know your deck really well. I do think there's one big asterisk though, which is I think your deck has to have a proactive game ending aggressive game plan because if you look through these results control sucked like some people tried is it control some people tried dress guy control actually a decent number of people played Demir control no matter what version of control you choose the win rate's Horrible from like the best was Demir control at 45%, which is like bad. And then a lot of the like one off, two off control decks were like 30 something percent, just like absolutely unplayable. So I think as long as your deck is like, okay, I actually am progressing the game and trying to kill my opponent, there's a lot of different things that you can do in modern. I don't think you want to be uh, reactive, though. Like, how can you be reactive? How can you build a reactive deck that's going to answer the Blood Moons from Scam and the griefs from Scam, answer the One Rings and Tron Lands from Tron, answer Turn 3 Rhinos from Rhinos, answer Turn 2 Hammer Time Kills? I don't think you can do it. Uh, can you? Is, is Modern just not a format for those reactive, try to, like, play the Crim deck, the Drago, like, stop all your stuff decks?
1: Control is forever dead. And the Jameer deck is so cute. It's like, I'm going to play these subpar one-for-ones. And then I'm going to rely on the one ring to power up my hand again so I can keep playing my subpar cards to it under control. But like Krim like would say, everything is Avengers-level threat. Anything resolves, you're dead. Uh, so you can try to control everything and have the perfect card in hand at every moment. Or you can take the easy way out and just do the proactive thing. Just and kill him right yeah, like just- like there, like like there's no scam win with Demir control every other deck has a scam win right they have a nut draw where they're like if you don't have yep. this exact response you lose there's no such yep. thing for control right <laughs> control is like i'm going to grind like every turn every play out so uh, it's very hard to do and i think control is actually dead in modern forever i, I don't think we're getting control back at any point in the same way as you really i guess like we have like miracles and legacy like like when the power level is so high it's so hard to control you might as well just go proactive uh, and i think yeah. that's where we are with modern
0: i don't i don't know if i'd say it's dead forever but i think it's definitely dead right now like where the met is at right now i would not want to be playing a a control deck that's trying to react to what the opponent's doing like you said you really as long as your deck has a nut draw that can take out your opponent on turn three or turn four the deck's probably pretty playable some are going to be better than others some are going to be have higher win rates but as long as your deck has that you can actually play it in a modern tournament and find success with it if it doesn't have that. Then I think you should just not play. Go play Pioneer or play standard or something. If you wanna if you wanna get your control fixed, go play standard. Everyone can play control and standard. It's very good. Just don't try to modern now. There's too many diverse threats to actually build a control deck to deal with. If the pros I'm, can't do it, I don't think we can do it. I'm renaming every deck on the
1: Goldfish site to scam. <laughs> Yeah. i don't know why ractos gets the scam like everyone scams like natural tron scam what? What? like turn one true. two amulet scam rhinos scam living End scam like they all scam you out of out of a game of magic right so yeah i don't know why ractos gets the bad rap of like scamming people like all you have to scam
0: in modern 2023 what you have to scam <laughs> what is what is ractos scam richard don't you mean ractos evoke <laughs> <laughs> I don't, what's wrong with
1: scam why do they call
0: it scam like, i don't, I, I, don't uh, I don't get it apparently someone said scam has negative connotations which i guess getting scammed is not a good thing so i guess i can kind of see where that's coming from at the same time <laughs> we got decks that are like Death and taxes and prison. Like we have a lot of deck names uh, that have negative connotations. I guess that you wouldn't want to experience in real life. Sorry, is, so there, is there is there a positive
1: connotation with getting double <laughs> double grief <laughs> or whatever? Like
0: it just it does describe the play pattern of that deck so well. Like right down to the blood moons. But anyway, that's that's the Pro Tour. We also got a, a bunch of preview cards. So we got Doctor Who previews. I don't know if we want to get into those too much. Doctor Who is a gonna be a kind of warhammer style secret layer commander deck release universes beyond rather secret uh universes beyond commander deck release with like four uh commander precons, coming out in october you can go over to uh the website mtd preview see all the cards it's got a big suspend theme and whatnot i think most interesting though we got an early look at wilds of eldery the next standard set releasing the beginning of september Some of the cards are pretty sweet, Richard. Why don't don't we talk a little bit about those?
1: All right. Uh, They're all over at mdgpreviews.com, so you can check them out. Uh, Let's start off with Ashiok, Wicked Manipulator. New Planeswalker, Mono Black Ashiok, 3 Black Black, 5 Loyalty. Has a static ability. If you would pay life while your library has at least that many cards in it, exile that many cards from the top of your library instead. Plus one, look at the top two cards of your library, exile one of them, and put the other in your hand. Minus two, create two 1-1 black nightmare creature tokens with, at the beginning of combat on your turn, if a card was put into exile this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. Minus seven, target player exiles the top X cards of the library, where X is the total
0: mana value of the cards you own in exile. Card's pretty sweet. So, one of the actually sort of related to Ashiok, when they did the preview stream, Wizards also said, expect a single Planeswalker per set moving forward. So, uh, a big change in de- design philosophy from a world with tons of Planeswalkers. Most sets have three, four, some sets have 40, uh, like Warless Bark or whatever. Big change where one Planeswalker per set is going to be the norm moving forward. Do you think that's a good thing, Richard? Are we just past the era of Planeswalkers? Or is this just Wizards? feeling like they're wasting mythic slots on cards that are bad in commander so they can't they can't afford to print so they need more mythics for commander players i was gonna say that i was gonna
1: say that because planeswalkers suck in commander like because otherwise that's like your thing right they've been pushing planeswalkers for so long it's the unique aspect of magic The gathering why are they putting an arbitrary rule on them and the only answer is commander and what they really should have done is make planeswalkers that work in commander and not not that a fairy that takes turns like every turn, right? Like some other way of making it better, uh, but yeah, it's it's weird that everything's a commander card. Now, who Seth. is this playable? Who would, a, who would
0: have? Who would have thought commander would be what saves us from planeswalker domination? Like out of all things, this casual format, the hero, all the planeswalker haters have been waiting for comes in to, to minimize the impact of the card type. I, I would say it's actually kind of so. If you think about it,
1: like a lot of cards are just planeswalkers pretending like, not to be Planeswalkers. Like, they accrue value, like, every single turn they stay on the battlefield. They're just not ticking True. up or down. Like, a, yeah. a Ragavon, you could say as a one-man Planeswalker, right? Like, so, I, I don't know. Like, the, the movement from Planeswalkers mean your creatures have, like, ETB triggers, attack triggers, and die triggers such that they, they do the loyalty thing every turn.
0: So, Ashiok, you think this card's good, Richard? My first reaction is... To me, this looks like a standard playable Planeswalker. It reminds me in the most of, like, Lolf, maybe, where you have a plus one that generates card advantage. You have a negative you can use multiple times that makes tokens to defend your Planeswalker. The ultimate reads weird, but it combines well with the static ability and the plus one. So uh, you're going to get a bunch of cards into exile and be able to eventually kill your opponent. I will say no way this card is designed for Commander because... Commander players, I guess casual players in general, but commander players in specific, do not like the idea of exiling cards from their own deck. A lot of, I think this is like the antithesis (laughs) of a casual Planeswalker, because you know people are going to be like, well, I might exile something I want. Like, I'm going to exile my combo piece. I'm going to exile my coolest card. So I don't think casual players are going to like this card or commander players because they're going to be afraid of exiling their own deck. For more spiky play, though, this reads like a standard playable Planeswalker to me. Does it Does now suck? <laughs> so you you need to be paying life. If you don't, let's say you you're
1: not actually paying life, like outside of this card. You plus plus ultimate may not actually kill someone, <laughs> right? I okay. mean, so you you, ah. you minus you make two one ones, and then you plus. Two, two twos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at that two two two. That's it. And then
0: <laughs> plus one is draw a card. Like, is this five mana playable? I mean, weak? it's it's card selection, right? You get to look at your top two, so a little better than draw a card. The yeah, tokens okay. do grow. We're going back to Eldorain. We also see that adventures are coming back. So. There are other ways to get things in exile. Maybe there's, uh, uh, maybe the ultimate will look a little scarier than you think, or even those tokens where, like, if you adventure something, that's going to be a card going to exile, which will grow your tokens. So I think there's going to be some additional okay. synergies there. The life bang thing. That's the that's the weird mode. I don't know where that's going. Like maybe this is a theme in Wilds of Eldraine we haven't seen yet. But that seems like the hardest. The static seems relatively useless in standard. I don't think this card is good enough to see you play outside standard. So I'm gonna be curious to see. Like I guess you what? Like your Shockland comes into play untapped and you exile two cards rather than lose two life. Is that actually worth a five mana Planeswalker? It doesn't seem like that mode doesn't. seem Oh, very you don't lose the me. life. You don't oh, lose you don't the lose life, the you life. don't. So you can do like this plus like bolus Citadel in commander yeah. and you just okay, like okay, get wait, to play wait, wait, everything wait. and exhale a bunch of cards. Set. Okay, okay. Kyric and Ashok? Oh, Kyric excited. It's absurd with Kyric. Yeah, oh Kyric yeah. in this is like a super combo.
1: So so this has some combo potential, but you you I think you actually need to use that static. If you just play it as like a value planeswalker, like would you rather not take generic Obnixilus? Like five mana plus one draw minus three punch a thing. Uh, like yeah, I mean, this but... this can theoretically finish someone. Like, if you're playing a journal control deck, you minus two make two tokens. Maybe they kill the planeswalker, but then you just play your cards, these tokens grow and eventually finish the game. So, I could see that, but there's just so many more powerful things you can do for five mana. Well, what uh, but about the of paying rich- life oh. though? That's crazy. There's
0: got to be some synergies in standard for that paying life thing, no? I so I've been digging around there's there's not a ton for paying life in standard right now. I would think though, if they're printing this card in standard, we're gonna get we're gonna get some of these. Probably the best right now is tenacious underdog is free. You just exile like uh, some cards and you can tenacious underdog every turn. So there are some things like that in standard, but there's not like any specific combo I could find. The card is cool though, and the ability is uh, definitely super unique. And I think the ultimate might be scarier than. Then we're giving it credit for, because remember, all it cares about is your stuff being in Exile. So you can, like, flashback memory Deluge. It goes to Exile. That's going to be four cards Exile. You Farewell and Exile a bunch of stuff from the battlefield. Those are going to be in Exile. So there are a lot of ways to get things in Exile and power up some of these abilities. It's like you have to combo with the ultimate, though, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay,
1: okay. You Toxic Deluge for, like, 8,000. Bill yourself... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there
0: and then, we go and then and then you Oracle done it fixed <laughs> that, <laughs> fixed commander oh that that actually that actually could work right pretty much yeah <laughs> i mean you
1: you could exile your whole library but what do you do what, what's a cool way to win after you've exiled your entire library that's not fast as oracle laboratory maniac <laughs> <laughs> i think i think it has commander applications though because of that pay life clause like i think you could actually play this in get something... Funny
0: going at least, if not. I think good <laughs> specific decks. Yeah, I don't think you just jam yeah. in any deck, but there's going to be specific decks where that ability is going to re- be really good. One little warning though: you could still ha- can only pay life that you have. I saw some people being like, "Ooh, Etherflux Reservoir!" Just like play this, play Etherflux Reservoir, fifty. You win the game. You still got to have fifty life because you can't pay life that you don't have. So, uh, so I think that is that does cut off some of the some of the combos people have been suggesting. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay rules. Getting in the way of my cool comments. Silly rules.
1: <laughs> Alright, we Ooh. have another mythic. Moonshaker Cavalry. 5, white, white, white. So 8 mana, 6, 6, Spirit Knight. Flying. When it ETBs creatures you control, gain flying and get plus X plus X, where X is the number of creatures you control.
0: So I think this was going to be a, a white planeswalker, and then Wizards was like, "No, we need a we need a commander staple here." So they decided to only print one planeswalker and give white literal crater hoof, literal crater hoof behemoth. Isn't this just crater hoof behemoth, uh, but in white? Like, I guess the only thing you're missing is Moonshaker doesn't get haste, so you don't get the crater hoof behemoth attack itself. Otherwise, it's just crater hoof. <laughs> No? Isn't this card like the best place to Did you hear that? (laughs) Oh, it's not bad, actually. I don't know if your audio is picking it up, but I can't hear it on my end. Oh, you can't hear it? Perfect. Uh, But I don't know. This creator of is better, right? The haste is actually epic. And trample better than flight? uh oh I guess I can what if someone a has a fl- bit now
1: <laughs> what if someone has a flying chump blocker, whereas uh I, I guess the ultimate for is what if they have like 30 toughness on the battlefields or something right but I mean it's good but would you play this over a Chromas will
0: uh, I think I would play both of them. I think if I'm any sort of, like, white creature deck, uh, token-style deck, any sort of go wide deck, I think this is a really good finish. I I view this as the same level of Craterhoof. Hoof. If you're a deck that would want to play Craterhoof Hoof Behemoth, but you don't have green mana, so you can't play Craterhoof Hoof Behemoth, I would just play this card. So I, I think maybe like ultra stable maybe not every white deck if you're a control deck or a voltron deck it obviously isn't going to be as good because you're not like putting in a ton of creatures on the battlefield but any sort of go wide deck jet mirror uh any white like adeline go wide token style deck Angel card is just bonkers. Like, I think it just closes out games. I do think flying is probably worse than trample overall, but I think it's actually pretty close because your opponents, like you said, could have a bunch of big ground creatures. And in that situation, flying is actually just better than trample because you're just going to swing over and kill people. Plus, it's a spirit and a knight, which is two relevant creature types. You just played, oh, what's the new Esper Knight Commander? Siddhar Jabari or whatever? Yeah. That has first strike, and when it hits your opponent, it reanimates. So you can like swing with your knight deck, reanimate this, pump everything else, kill everyone. So I think Spirits and Knights is great. Any go-wide white deck, but I I do you not think it's a staple? Is it not that am I overrating this card? It's good. But so create the, the, the thing with Creator Hoof is you
1: can also like tutor it with like eight million cards. That's true. And then hmm. I don't okay. Know. How- like, so, if I had a couple slots for finishers, so a Chroma's will over this. Okay. Uh, is this better than coat of arms? Yes, probably. Right. It I would say be, yes. Right? Yeah, it's better than coat of arms. Yeah. So maybe this is a staple. Maybe this is the second. Like, you have, like, Eldrazi Monument or something. Uh, I think that's about it. <laughs> right? Like, that's and pretty much it for white overruns. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it does slot in there. But I don't think it's as universal because you need a lot of creatures. Like, the, yeah, the hoof I mean, you do. can kill you people do with itself. Creatures. Like, the hoof itself, like, without any creatures, it's still a hasty, like, big boy. This just comes into play. Um, yes. Also, Less- triple white is a li- is a little harder to cast. But I think it's good. I think it'll be in a lot of decks. But I don't know if I would start all white decks with it in it. But I would start all decks with Crater Hoof in it. So yeah, they're probably about equivalent. I would say
0: pretty pretty close. I would say yeah. So definitely uh, an exciting commander card. This next next mythic though, Richard, is this card just horrible? What am I missing about Tilian?
1: Are we talking about uh, the fairy the fairy noble legendary the fairy Italian? noble
0: legendary? Yeah, the kindly lord four mana demir
1: three four flying. As it ETBs, choose a number between 1 and 10, whenever an opponent casts a spell with mana value, power, or toughness equal to the chosen number, that player loses 2 life, and you draw a card.
0: It's like Chalice of the Void, if rather than stopping your opponent from casting a spell, you just like gently poke them a little bit when they cast the spell of the mana value. I feel <laughs> this is really good, though. No? Okay. Uh. I I I, I got to
1: do the math on this. if I if I choose a number like say two 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 is the number yeah how many cards in a random person's deck because it's not just mana value right it's power or toughness so maybe I should be choosing one or two or something like that like if it was like every time you cast a spell you lose two life I draw a card like isn't that absurd I mean it's not yeah, every time what if it's fifty yeah. percent what is fifty percent of the time right. For an opponent, for each opponent, though, right? Isn't that?
0: Oh, are we talking commander or sixty card formats? Are we talking okay, commander almost, or sixty oh, this card? This has to be commander. No, oh, 60 okay, 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 okay.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Sixty card might no sixty card dies to
0: Doom Blade, so, but if well, it
1: tied to Doom Blade, like the card, the decks are more consistent. If you name two, you probably get the whole deck, right?
0: Yeah, is it worth it? Even though it dies to, like, so in Standard, this is going to die to two-mana removal, most commonly. Shields, Edict, uh, et cetera. Most of the removal, it killed two-mana. Is it worth it to play this name, too? If your opponent kills it, it cycles and they lose two. If they can't kill it, then it's triggering off a bunch of their random stuff and snowballing, like, is that enough? I guess the other problem is, like, it's literally in the same slot as Shieldred. So if you're building this deck, you have to, like, choose not to play Shieldred to play this, which seems tough. Like, if Shieldred didn't exist, I'd be a little higher on it. But it's not that bad if you can name the removal think, number so at least it cycles if it dies, right? I, I think it's I think it's good. I think we got to look
1: at, like, all the deck lists and come up with, like, the number <laughs> that you would choose and what the percentage is cuz if if i told you that it's like 50% of the cards you play i get this trigger would would, would this be good or what if it was
0: 75% like would this be good That would, be, would good. be good although right? i don't know if that number exists we're going to have to math this out we got to do some tillion math and see I, 50, my 50% guess is might be
1: doable 50% might be doable do mm, you think so okay where especially, we math especially in standard where you have four of everything uh, if, and then if in Commander, you have three fi- opponents. If it's
0: actually yeah. 50%, then this card is probably pretty Okay, heavy. what if it's 25%? What, what is the no. percentage at which you start caring about this? Uh, it's got to be pretty close to 50. Like, once it gets up to, like, maybe 40, 35, 40. 25, I'm not excited about it, especially since I could just play Shieldred. In Commander, I'm more excited about it. I'm not really... It's kind of a boring commander, right? Like I play in the 99 of like a Una deck or like another fairy deck or maybe just for value. Is a commander, though. It's pretty generic. Like it doesn't push you any direction, yeah. right? It's just like play this and maybe you draw some cards. I think it's good. CDH. But... CDH. Name one. <laughs> name yeah? one. Win the game. <laughs> no. Yeah, Maybe. Maybe it's, it's a must kill. If, if, like
1: it's a must kill. Like if the problem is you have to play Demir, which may actually be like terrible. Uh, yeah. But if you actually could cover the colors, you just make it to four. Play this thing. If your opponents like it's it's like Ristic studies on crack, right? Like, I think I think I think a lot of people are undervaluing this because it looks so RNG and terrible. But if you just take each deck and calculate the math to to the optimal number. Which you should be able to do, right? Like once the metagame is defined, you should be able to be like, you know, this this deck usually looks like this. You can come up with a number, and if that number looks like forty to fifty percent, I think this card is cracked.
0: And the three, or four flyers not bad, right? We've seen like Sarah Paragon yeah. kind of go off. Those are it's not insane stats, but we've seen similar stats on four drops be playable. So yeah, I'm gonna have to math this card out and see. See how high the rate actually is. Because if it if actually we had is, rotation, this would be
1: insane, right?
0: If, if there was no shield, actually- yeah.
1: If we could rotate Shouldred away from here, then this yep. card would actually be pretty good. But, like, even if it was 50%, do you play this all through I think he's the shoulder No, Shildred.
0: Shildred is just, like, so good. Like, I... Shouldred, there's no... You know your opponent's going to draw a card every turn, and you're going to draw a card every turn. And they might draw more than one card during the turn. So, like, but this the floor of shoulder is just Shildred so higher.
1: The straw's card says
0: <laughs> that's that is true, but it might do nothing and shield. Yeah, I there's, there's no way it beats shield. Plus it's two colors, so that limits the decks you could yeah. put it in, but yeah, I'm going to math this out at some point. I got to ask you. We're getting near the end, but I got to ask you about one more card, which is this new creature land, Rel- uh, restless fortress. So it's a Orzhov ETB tapped creature land. You pay for turn it into a one for nightmare, a black and white nightmare. Uh, it's still a land when it attacks defending player loses two life and you gain two life. So. These cards aren't good enough for older formats anymore, right? I'm thinking back to do you remember OG Jun, where like Raging Ravine, mm, Treetop Village, ah, you just like fire it so in good. there? We're we're past that era, right? Like maybe ten years ago this would be a house in modern, but it's just too slow for older formats now, right? If it's not Ink Moth Nexus. <laughs> yes, it's too slow. What about I mean, standard though? Like, is are these lands still auto staples four ofs if you're in the colors you play four of these or have we reached the point where they're too slow for standard i don't want to tap land right who wow. did you run at a card like do you i don't know like it's close like you,
1: you have to see the list but like do you actually run out of cards as standard and is this one four <laughs> gonna get you there because you're forced to play off curve somewhere when yep. you play this uh and then there depends on what other lands we have but sometimes you might actually need to play like other utility lands but like it, it's not a free roll right? like if it was actually a really good land and this land i don't know it's a one four and then you get to drain two maybe that's fine maybe that's actually good because it stabilizes and gains you life the life game's uh, so maybe not maybe this bad. is playable but it's... i would not consider it a free roll like you know oh it's just free value like it's a tap land tap land is a big deal like would you play a guild gate in your standard deck like no, right? Like you need a no, very good no. reason to play the guildgate. So,
0: I and I know. guess going into our current standard too, you also have the triomes, which are also tapped. Yeah. So you're the competing you with additional tap one. lands. Yeah.
1: Right, because turn two, three, four, you want
0: to play on curved usually. Uh, so I don't know. It seems kind of risky. On the other hand, though. There's a lot of homes. Esper control, top tier in standard. Orzhov control, good in standard. Esper legends, good in standard. So there are a lot of decks that could slot this. And I think I'm still on the, oh, I'm still on the these lands got to be good in standard. I, I haven't got to the point where I've written off creature lands in standard. Even what though if
1: they just power crept
0: it, Seth. What if it was a shock land and then the creature part was like worse. That's what they need to do to make them modern playable or like what do we see the adventures in the forgotten realm cycle like they were fast lands essentially if it's one of your first two lands that comes into play untapped that was enough to get those lands back to modern and pioneer to some extent there even those aren't like staples they are really good in pioneer like fringe modern and legacy cards. So I think they do need like if they want these to see play outside of standard they're going to have to give you some chance of them having come, uh, come into play untapped at this point. Or else they're just too slow. But I still think standard, they're going to be really good. I'm I'm hyped for more creature lands. We've never had a standard where creature lands are bad so far. Maybe this will be the one, but I... I think uh, two color decks
1: can play them, but not three color decks. Because three color decks, you want your triomes. And then you can't play that many tap lands. But two color decks, are we playing any tap lands today? I don't think we...
0: Some of it, like, actually, Orzhov Control plays <laughs> plays the Triumph, actually, just for cycling purposes, and I guess, like... Yeah, this, this yeah. has got to be better, right? This got to be better Or Is it? I don't know. <laughs>
1: like, maybe a free card is better than this. What if you just play... What if you just play Lorien
0: Revealed? <laughs>
1: like, what if you just play a cycler
0: it is a lot to Make fire it, up four four is a lot although i like that it gains life like it it blocks well and gains life against aggro and it can close out the game through yeah. blockers because it's an attack trigger rather than the yes. combat trigger so i think there's there's some upside i guess we'll see maybe it's not four of anymore but i think this card's still got this one
1: stabilizes the game for you so it actually has a, a purpose but like yeah. if it was
0: actually just like a four four attacker like maybe it's not worth not the worth red. yeah, yeah. Anyway, you can check out all the spoilers over at mtdpreviews.com. Uh, spoiler season is going to kick back off, I believe, August 15th, so a couple a uh, couple weeks from now. Although, there's some con coming up next weekend that they're going to do some spoilers at. So we'll see. Maybe we get some surprise spoilers for next Monday's cast. Uh, do we have time for fish mail, Richard? Do we, do we have enough time today? Uh, we're running long. Maybe we'll save it for next week. All right. So if uh, people want to send in... Though. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Where do they send them? Send them to at
1: MT Goldfish with the hashtag MGFishMail on on X on Twitter and we'll
0: get to we'll get to your questions on air. <laughs> Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of episode 444 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we'll be back next week to talk about a new B&R update and whatever else goes on in the world of magic. So, until then, have a lovely week, everyone. And this is The Crew signing out.